0: Uni Taster Days proudly presents The UniGuide. The UniGuide. For parents and teachers. The guidance podcast you need to support students with university decisions. A warm welcome back to The UniGuide. This is episode four and here's some clues about what we're gonna be discussing in this episode. We'll be tackling myths head on. Students don't cook, they're lazy and just live off takeaways.
1: Uh, But I cooked a lot and learned a lot about cooking as a result of it. It's making me sound really boring, isn't it, Tim?
0: Sorry, what were you saying? We'll be sharing our own experiences of university, including the young people who are studying there
2: right now. Even I was terrified, and so was she. Everyone's in the same boat.
1: Would I have the confidence at that age to do that? No chance. I probably wouldn't have even answered the door to someone else, let alone
3: knock on someone else's. You soon realise that that's not uh, always doable.
0: Yes, in this episode we are going to be exploring the myths that surround university, entering university, whilst you're there, and to do so, I'm going to welcome back my trusty co-host John from Uni Taster Days. I'm John Cheek, I'm
1: the founder of Uni Taster Days. It's really
0: good to be back, really good to be working with you today, Matt, and hello again Tim. Great to have you with us, John, and our special guest today is going to be Matt Kaldock. Welcome, Matt, to the Uni Guide. Anything you'd like to share about your role and maybe your journey into university?
2: Absolutely. Hi, folks. Um, hi, Tim and John. My name's Matt. Um, I work currently at St George's University of London, so it's the UK sort of specialist healthcare and medicine university. I've been working in sort of student recruitment for about five years now, so ever since I graduated from university. Um, I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit more later on, but I went to University of Sussex. Um, got a job immediately working as part of their student recruitment team, doing a lot of talks um, about everything, all things university. Then started working for the medical school down in Brighton, so uh, Brighton and Sussex Medical School. And there I was responsible, again, for delivering kind of advice and guidance to prospective medics and, you know, sort of helping to recruit the next generation of doctors. I was responsible for organising their admissions interviews, which was quite a big task. Um, And then now I've joined St George's again with with a view to trying to help those that are trying to get into working as as a medic or as one of the allied health professions um, or through into science as well.
0: Okay, so we've got our team together Um, on a really nice website. I recommend anyone to have a look at it. Save your student. I've got some myths I'm going to throw at both of you and see what you both think um, going off your own experiences. So myth number one is students are lazy. And don't cook. They tend to just live off takeaways. What do we think?
1: People always say they're a good cook, bad. I, I think I'm pretty good at cooking, but but I learned what I did basically being at university. I didn't grow up cooking at all. Uh went to university and actually I, I ended up basically going to university with and lived in the second year with my wife. Obviously, not wife then, girlfriend then. Um, but actually as a result, we we'd do a lot of cooking in and, and actually I learned loads about cooking in that year. So some students don't cook. I've got friends at university that did not cook whatsoever, uh, but I cooked a lot and learned a lot about cooking as a result of it. It's making me sound really boring, isn't it, Tim?
0: Sorry, what were you saying, John?
2: It makes me sound really boring.
0: <laughs> Matt, what about you? Did you just live off takeaways all the time or did you cook?
2: I actually grew up cooking as well. I was, I've always been quite a keen chef. And um, what I found when I got to university is that, like, and obviously everyone's experience are different, but... We lived on like a corridor of 12 people. And so it was all very kind of um, communal, very familiar. And what ended up happening is that we'd all just cook for each other. And it was really nice. You know, you'd make you'd make a sort of roast. And I suppose there is that kind of, for us, there was this sort of added pressure to get good at cooking. Because obviously, if you were cooking for everyone and it was rubbish, um, people wouldn't ask you to do it again. So I think, um, yeah, I, there are some people who did live off things like cheese toasties and beans on toast. But... By and large, yeah, some of the meals you made were pretty banging.
0: Okay, so the second one is you'll meet your social group or your friends in the first couple of weeks of university, say at Freshers' Week. What do we think here, chaps?
2: I'll um, I'll jump in. So I think um, again, it it will really vary. So my my experience was, as I said, we we lived uh, all on a corridor of, of twelve people, and we've had adjacent corridors of twelve people, so everyone. In, in Freshers' Week, would would you know go to everyone, everyone's kitchens, and you'd, you'd sort of be there and um and socialise. I would say saying you'll meet all your friends during Freshers' Week is a massive, massive stretch. Um, given how many opportunities there are at university, as I kind of as I mentioned earlier, when it's talking about things like societies and clubs in, involved in your course, you will meet people through that. I was quite lucky because the people I met in first year and also the people I met through then so a lot of it was friends of friends that did sort of happen but it was over the course of a year it wasn't like a instantaneous bang now you've got like 40 friends or whatever.
0: Interesting how about you John? To be honest I I don't think I
1: met any friends or few friends during freshers week and and I think the reason that was is I I went to university pretty close to where I lived and and looking back I don't think I had the, the mindset when I started uni to make friends as daft as it sounds I, I think I, I considered look I've got friends at home I'm going to university to do a course and naturally I'm, you know, I'm within driving distance and, and therefore didn't make much effort and I actually longer term made loads more friends from being a, a student representative so i got a part-time job on campus and therefore met students from that if I ever speak to students that are going to university now I'd, I'd basically say that, that I had the right wrong idea and and what I would do again is is make loads of efforts it's just a really nice opportunity to meet people like you meet people completely different to you and I think that's just one of the reasons why university is just really kind of really special I I, I spoke to one student that I think they're in their second or the third year of the course and uh, and about a similar subject to this and I think they were doing it I think they're a student student ambassador and I was at an event at a school and and they said what they did and I just thought how nice is this is when they started their university course they were in Hall's residence, they knocked on everyone's door and made a made a cake, basically. And not, so they made a cake and said, Look, I'm whatever their name was, and I'm in number four. Do you want a bit of cake? And how nice is that? Like people are just moving in, probably don't know anyone. Would I have the confidence at that age to do that? No chance. I probably wouldn't have even answered the door to someone else, let alone knock on someone else's. But I just think, you know, if you if you are really proactive, really outgoing. And it also puts people at ease. And, and definitely, you know, if I have my time again in terms of university, I'd, I'd sign up for loads of societies. I'd, I'd, I'd get involved in as much as I can in Freshers' Week. So I just think it's a really nice opportunity. And the sooner you make friends, the sooner you're going to relax and into the university environment. Because students will never admit it, but I bet loads of students that haven't started university and are about to start or are thinking of starting uni, Is one of the big concerns they're going to have is they're going to go to a new place and they're not going to make friends. And I think, actually, if you, if you go out of your comfort zone a little bit, make friends, it's, it's probably one of the best tips I could give anyone.
0: Sage advice we'll do one more. Um, the last one is university is just like school. No, you're shaking your heads at me. Um, who would
2: like to have a go at this one? What do we think? That autonomy, that time management aspect of it is one of the massive, massive drawing factors of university. Um, you know, it is about that sort of taking ownership of your own education of your own learning.
0: Yeah, it's down to you to, to make sure that your work's in, you're not gonna have a teacher chasing you, where's your homework? Where's this? You need to be here at this time.
2: They're not going to be checking in on you really regularly, not going to be saying, Oh, how's this essay coming along? Or how's that bit of reading coming along? If you don't do it, you will sort of fall behind. So that's something I think it's important to be aware of. But the other side of that coin, I suppose, is that you are not kind of cooped up with people that you'll see day in, day out like at school, it's not like that at all you'll live with people and that will be, you know, a continued engagement for that particular year. But at the end of that first year, what will normally happen is that you will, you know, say to the friends that you've made in that year, well, we've already got an established group and we already know that we absolutely love each other. We'll go and, you know, find our house and we'll dip our toe into the sort of murky world of private renting. So that's one thing that happens, and that's, you know, completely aside from school. Additionally, If you are not enjoying being around people, there's people that aren't quite your kinds of people, you have got so many different opportunities to find people that are. What I think people really sort of miss out on in terms of the social side of university is that everyone's in the same boat. Everyone, when they go to university, is pretty terrified because it's a massive, massive jump. Um, Even those that are going there with people from their school or their college or their sixth form, the same university, maybe even doing the same course, will be very nervous i had one person from my year group at school who i'm still best mates with um go to university even i was terrified and so was she so it's that kind of thing which kind of makes you realize that oh everyone's in the same boat everyone is eager to make those friends and connect those connections with people that they want to be around and that, I suppose, is the other side of it in terms of you know using your time to to do that as well.
1: I think certainly for me, one of the, the big beauties of the university living at the university is is independence in the sense that I could I could get in when I like, you know, get up when I like, you know, five minute that I go to the lectures and obviously sometimes you don't go to lectures, etc. And actually, I think that's one of the, the independence is is a big reason why students go to university.
0: Okay, so there are a few of the many myths uh, busted. by thank you both for contributing that's the end of part one join us off this short break for part two when we'll be hearing from our student panelists and getting more experiences on myths that our guests have encountered welcome back to part two we are talking myths about university john i want to know the one that winds you up the most which one gets you going and the one
1: myth that, that drives me absolutely crazy that you see on TV, radio, newspapers all the time is related to student finance. When all the time you hear on TV programmes, people say, you can't go to university or university is going to cost £50,000, £60,000. And they don't then back up with information about how finance works and things. And it drives me absolutely potty. I guarantee if you ask year 12 and year 13 students, if they went to university, if they had a student loan towards the course, the maintenance and they go on to earn £30,000 a year. And if you ask them what they reckon their monthly repayments would be, even though they're probably going to go into university the next year and applying for student finance, they would not have a clue. And it's you know, it's that type of example where actually practical examples that the students don't think about student loan repayments. What students often do is worry about how big their student loan balance will be. And we previously covered student finance, we know that not all students are likely to pay off their whole student loans within the repayment period. So
0: that's right. We covered student finance in episode two, if you want to rewind and listen to that back. Matt, I want to know which one winds you up the most, maybe when you're advising people on into to university, to higher education, what have you got to share with us?
2: In terms of some of the other myths, I think that the importance of things like league tables and these buzz phrases like Russell Group, that sort of stuff, this isn't to say that the universities at the top of all these famous league tables are bad or that you know the russell group isn't what it's cracked up to be but i think people and this might come from parents it might come from teachers or it might be something that students just heard down the grapevine people will think about those phrases and use them without actually really knowing what they mean or what they are i think particularly with things like league tables they will only look at sort of you know in an overall sense they won't look at what it's like for, for, for instance, their individual course. They won't look at what it's like in terms of, you know, student satisfaction. They'll look at, you know, what it's been ranked by sort of third parties, things like that, as opposed to people that actually went there. And so I think there's a, a bit of kind of a misunderstanding as to how those tables can be used. And when it comes to things like um, the Russell Group, you know, that it's, it's quite a lofty name for a group of universities that met in the Russell Hotel a few years ago Um, so while they are very sort of good universities many of them not being a part of it is not something that should be a barrier to you going to university to a university and that's something that I hear quite a lot with the students that I talk to nowadays but also when I was applying myself people would talk about going to a Russell Group University or going to a top 10 top 20 university it's not as simplistic as that
0: Yeah, thanks, Matt. Brilliant points, completely agree. At the end of the day, it's about finding the right institution, the right course, the right environment that suits you and your needs and what you want to do in the future.
2: Yeah, I think that some of the things I advise students to do when they're looking at their own Open Days um, is to obviously go to the university, look around the campus. The absolute top tip for going to university, university Open Days is Talk to the student, the other people that are experiencing it right now and that lived experience is significantly more authentic than any bit of university marketing or any university event could possibly be and so I think you know that's really important but also there is just this incredibly intangible feel that you do get when you visit a campus and you realise oh I could actually really envision myself here, it really is that sort of straightforward, well, it was certainly that straightforward for me was about envisaging myself you know walking around the campus going for a sandwich at the local cafe that sort of thing but also on the the university open days going out into the local area you know I went to the University of Sussex and went into Brighton afterwards and again an incredible city full of incredibly weird but brilliant and interesting people Um, and if you don't go to the surrounding area on your open day and at least get a feel for that then you're not going to go to university fully confident that the place that you're going is somewhere that you could happily spend the next three, four, maybe even five years of your life. So I think those are two things really that I think can be hugely impactful when you go to university open day and certainly more so than any other sort of the research I was able to do online, yeah.
0: John, is there anything you'd like to add? I mean, one just occurred to me is that not, you know, all universities are the same. That's a myth in itself, isn't it? We know that that isn't the... The case as you've been saying anything you'd like to add here yeah thanks tim and,
1: and matt brilliant points about open days says says the man that runs a university events website how important are they but the, but university events and seeing the campus is so 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 important once I was, I was chatting to some students and i said look what's the biggest cost when it comes to uni and some said the cost of the course some said maintenance but actually the biggest cost in my eyes about going to university is time right you're going to go to university you can make money in the future but you can't get that time back and it's such a big opportunity for students if they're going to spend three years or even those two-year courses as well but two years three years four years in a certain place it's so important to make sure that place is right for you that university is right but the location is right if you like the seaside do you want to go to a coastal university if you like the city do you want to be at university in the, in the city center and, and not enough students think about that and actually think you know what I'm going to be doing this for three years it's really important that that I study somewhere that's that I like the university but I like the area as well so big 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 shout out again for open days and and one thing just to touch on earlier on we were talking about you know league tables and things and I'm not if I'm honest I'm not a big league table fan I think it it for what, what might be right for one student might not be right for another one you could have you know student satisfaction scores that are fantastic but that doesn't guarantee students going to have a brilliant experience themselves because everyone's different and I think now we're in an age of reviews and things. And how many times have we looked at a film review before we watch a film, and the film turns out to be rubbish, even though it's got a great review, because it's not the right film for you? How many restaurants you've been in, and, and actually it's not very good for you? Um, and then uh, whenever we go, we have been abroad for a long time. Whenever we, we used to go abroad back in the day, I used to spend loads of time researching TripAdvisor to go to a place that the, in theory is ranked really well. And so many times we got there and thought, I don't like this. So one night. Famous story with bars. One night, I went out, and we said, "You know what? We're not going to do any research. We're just going to have a walk around. We're going to go to the first place that we think looks nice." And we had a brilliant meal. Went back and treachery to and the reviews were horrendous. So I think that I'm drifting off from university, but but actually, what is right for one student won't be right for another one, and, and that's why I think open days are great because you can go there as a student, as a parent, as a teacher, if you want to take a school group there, and actually see with students what what might be right for them, and and what what university might be right for one student might not be right for the next one.
0: Thank you, John. Thank you, Matt, for your insights there. And you kind of hit the nail on the head earlier, Matt, when you said about, you know, the great tip of talking directly to a student because they are living the process of studying at the time. And that's what we're going to do now. We're going to go to our student panellists and get their insights on myths surrounding university.
4: Actually, looking at university, there's a couple of things that I realised kind of weren't true when I got there. So one thing is that I thought university was very inflexible. I thought that you were just doing one particular track and that was all you were doing for your degree, but obviously I can only really speak on behalf of business and obviously some, some French, but I found that university it was much more flexible. I obviously know that's, that's potentially just the case for arts and humanities, but within my business course, I found I was able to pick modules that I really enjoyed and modules that I felt like I really wanted to go to the lectures, well, most of the time anyway. So that was really important to me because I could pick marketing and I could not avoid accounting, but I much preferred marketing, I much preferred HR. So I could obviously really play to my strengths and really study subjects that I genuinely felt passionate about and wanted to learn more about, which obviously made the 9AMs much easier.
0: Thank you, Emma. That's Emma Berwick, our student panelist. Uh, Next, we have Anton. Anton, what content have you got on myths that you encountered or anything that kind of surprised you about university?
3: So for me, I think the biggest myth was the idea that particularly in your first year, your social life is going to be crazy. You know, everyone thinks you're going to go into university, you're going to get drunk a lot, um, it's going to be a bit wild. And, you know, whilst that did happen from time to time, (laughs) as soon as you start to realize that you have to manage your own finances and spread out your maintenance loan or your savings uh, across the term or terms, you soon realize that that's not uh, always doable. Uh, for me particularly, I had to be very careful. Uh, and I know some people who totally blew all their maintenance loan and had no money left. So yeah, I think one of the biggest myths is that.
0: Thank you, Anton. Next we have Leah. Leah, what is the biggest myth that you encountered about university?
4: Biggest myth around university, in my opinion, is that you'll 100% enjoy it straight away. Now, please don't, like, come for me you'll get offended. I'm not being a Debbie Downer. I'm just saying that if you're going to university and you're a little bit nervous or you're worried and when you get there, you're worried that it's not everything that you've heard, or that everything, you feel like you're meant to have a massive friend group by now, and the course is meant to be feeling amazing, please don't worry if everything isn't ticking those boxes. It can take time to settle into university, it can take time to find friends, it can take time to reach your expectations, and that is absolutely okay. Give yourself that time, but don't worry if it's not 100% perfect straight away.
0: Brilliant. Thank you for all of your advice from our panellists. So Emma, Anton and Leah there. Join us after this short break for part three, where we'll be giving you hints, tips and resources. Welcome back to part three. This is the part where we're going to get all of the advice and hints and tips we can from our special guest, which is Matt, with a bit of a focus on health, medicine, allied health professions. What have we got to share here, Matt? Yeah, Thanks,
2: Tim. So, I didn't know a lot of these things before I started working in the world of admissions for for medicine and for healthcare. So these are all things that were fairly new to me, even as someone that worked within student recruitment. But once I learned about them and once I saw them with my own eyes, and you know, with working with admissions teams and from with sort of larger bodies like the Medical School Council, um, it was really quite eye-opening how many students weren't aware of these things. So to give you a few examples, the first one that I can think of is quite current, given that we have just been through a pandemic where doing things in person um, wasn't really an option. And it's that people who want to go into medicine think that having relevant in-person work experience in kind of clinical settings is essential and that you can't get into medicine without it. And that is not the case. It's actually really rare that universities will ever put any particular requirement in terms of, you know, two weeks, six weeks, four weeks, whatever, however long in a healthcare environment as part of their admission requirement.
0: Right, this is great, Matt. Keep it coming. So what are the things that a medical school wants to see from applicants then?
2: Firstly, that the people applying to dental medicine have actually got the skills and attributes and qualities required to work as a doctor and be a medical student. And secondly, that they've got realistic insight and understanding into what working as a doctor and what being part of the NHS workforce is going to be like. Now, those two things, depending on what kinds of opportunities people have had in their life, might come from things like, maybe they're both their parents are GPs, right? Maybe they've had a chance to shadow, um Their parents at work. That's great. That's, that's obviously valuable experience. Not everyone is going to have that. So, those two things might come from relevant in person work experience. They do not have to.
0: What alternatives are there then?
2: So, certainly since the pandemic, the rise and the prominence of kind of virtual work experiences has really come to the fore. There are a couple, one of which uh, was. Sort of sprouted up even before the pandemic in January 2020 was the Brighton and Sussex Medical School virtual work experience. So I was I was I was there with my um, my colleagues in the outreach and WP team uh, were working heavily on that, and it was an absolutely remarkable success. Tens of thousands of users have used it to get really excellent insight into healthcare and medicine, and you know universities certainly during the pandemic. Made part of their admissions policy, you know, we are very happy to consider virtual work experiences specifically because they gave students those sort of insights and that sort of understanding into healthcare and medicine. Um, also, resources in addition to virtual experiences are things like podcasts, such as these, uh, TED Talks, different YouTube series that you can see. So, all that sort of stuff can provide really, really tangible understanding of what it is to be a medic in the modern world okay and the reason for all of that is because more than anything else it's not just about having the experience in and of itself that's not enough it's about what you do with it the experiences you've got as a student are only as good as what you do with them
0: so this is key so how do we get young people to reflect on their skills and their experiences so it can help them with their applications
2: and what reflection is ultimately? a student not just saying what they did, but why they did it, what they learned or what they gained, whether that was new skills or honing existing skills, or even gaining more insight and understanding. And then most importantly, and most critically of all, relating all of that back to how it makes them more suitable to be a doctor. Again, that's kind of how you would make your experiences, whether they're relevant or not, whether they're in-person or virtual related to medicine and outline your suitability in that way without that without reflecting without telling us as medical schools why you're suitable having in-person relevant clinical work experience is nothing more or less than a box-ticking exercise it is just you know doing it for the sake of it okay so that was one kind of really key um myth i thought i would try to address as well just very quickly another one um, and this was very much from the horse's mouth it came from a doctor that i was at an event with recently um a student put their hand up and asked is it is it at all possible to have a social life if you do medicine and the doctor without even thinking said no it's not possible it is absolutely essential <laughs> um and his rationale for that was you know as medics you all you know, you'll see some pretty upsetting and horrible stuff. It's, you know, being a doctor is not easy work. And you will have people around you that are experiencing it as well. And sharing that experience is so incredibly important to the extent where you kind of have to have a social life. And students do. Medical students are some of the most sort of social, active students if possible to have because they've all got these different interests, whether they're particularly stressed with their studies, whether they've had an upsetting day on placement or whatever, they've got to have things to really take the load off and put their minds off it. So that's a really important one I think it's important to touch on, particularly given we've been talking about the social side of university.
0: Okay, Matt, great stuff. What about an admissions point of view? So the people reading the applications that can grant them access?
2: From an admissions perspective, another one that you hear quite a lot is medical school don't care or don't read about personal statements.
0: That might surprise a few people. Please expand on that point.
2: It is partly true. The fact of the matter is that more medical schools than ever are either not using them at all or not reading them full stop. And um, while it's not true for all medical schools, it's definitely worth, if you are listening to this and interested in applying for medicine, taking a look at the individual perspective of each medical school because they'll be really, really transparent about their use of personal statements. They legally, they have to be transparent about it. But plenty of them will say the statement is not used in our process or we will not read it at all. Interesting. So why do you think that is the case then? Given how similar a lot of statements for, you know, particularly for medicine R, it's no longer that much of a point of difference for medical schools. Um, they can kind of be coached and vetted and sometimes even written for students as well, which doesn't really make them a particularly good metric of 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 a student's performance at medical school. Fundamentally, we, we learn a great deal more about students from interviewing them. It's so much more enlightening to talk to a student for 45 minutes or or an hour or so at interview than it is to read 4,000 characters on a side of A4 paper, quite frankly. Okay, Matt, moving
0: on. What about allied health professional courses at university?
2: The Final myth, I would say really, that I, I've encountered quite a lot of this is that the allied health courses are sometimes seen as lesser than medicine. And I would, I would also put biomedical science in that category as well. Believe it or not, when I've Been either running mock interviews for medical students or been interviewing students myself as 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 an assessor. People will talk down about careers like nursing.
0: Really, wow!
2: And I find that absolutely staggering. A to have the audacity to do that in a medical school interview, where a lot of people interviewing you will be clinicians and people who work in hospitals and who are on the ground seeing it all. but also the lack of insight it shows. You know, one of the NHS values that, by the way, students will be expected to talk about is working together for patients. And if you're denigrating the importance of people like nurses or radiographers or, you know, physiotherapists or biomedical scientists, it's just it's it's really quite crass. Um, the idea is working together, you know, it's not just doctors working together, it's everybody, it's all NHS staff who who come together in order to make this incredible institution of ours run as best it possibly can or as best it's allowed to um given its resources so that i think is something that is um has been said and i've heard from those particular students That i i think it's really important to address that you you should never really say or even think at that point
1: just one final point about the allied health professions that actually i read recently and and we talk about myths in terms of finance right at the start of the podcast is there's also for many allied health profession courses additional funding available now this is not the time to go into funding because it's, you know, it's a completely different area completely to, to what we're talking about but one thing I'd encourage listeners whether you're a parent whether you're a teacher to do and teachers working with students of course is research the NHS learning support fund there is additional funding there that's going to support students that are studying an allied health profession I think it's really important that the students check that out.
0: Definitely, and just reflecting on my own kind of experiences, um, when trying to kind of show people different careers, qualification levels of all the people who support people across the NHS, so allied health professionals, doctors, medics, think of a a life cycle of a patient. So it could be, say, a loved one's had a fall, maybe a nan, your auntie, and just think about all those steps and all those people that are going to help them on their way to recovery from the first responder to the ambulance driver to the nurse that treats them, to maybe the pharmacist who delivers um, the pain relief, the medicine afterwards, to maybe a social worker that drops in and see if they're okay. That can be a nice, neat exercise of not just showing different careers, but also the qualifications and the routes and pathways that young people can explore behind all of those people in that cycle. So, one resource we have over at Uni says that will be really handy for students who are interested in healthcare careers
1: is our on demand videos, where we introduce different subjects at university. And we always cover four main themes why a student might want to do the course, what to expect on it, application tips, and careers. They're always impartial. We've covered loads of subjects related to healthcare, whether that's medicine, whether that's many of the allied health professions. And actually, our most popular video so far, out of hundreds that we've done, we've literally done the A to Z of subjects, but the, the most popular video we've got so far. one of the allied health professions and that's ODP operating department practitioner which is basically i'm putting it probably horrendously but but supporting a surgeon when when obviously they're in surgery and that's that's a course that obviously is very popular that perhaps a lot of students don't know about and therefore they they look at those resources and that can be accessed at unitasterdays.com
2: forward slash on demand
0: brilliant please do check them out as john says any other resources that anyone want to signpost maybe matt in terms of the allied health professions
2: whether you're doing A-levels or whether you're doing B tech qualifications or whether you're doing access courses, they are a lot more forthcoming in terms of what they will accept and what they'll consider. And I think as long as you are keeping an eye on the different requirements in terms of the subject for each of those different qualifications, that can be a really, really good valuable route into those particular fields, particularly for those that maybe don't realise or didn't put a great deal of thought into what they wanted to do at university at the point at which they chose to do their level three qualification. I'll also just mention now that if I was going to talk about resources for medicine and for healthcare, I would be talking to the cows. Kind mean, of, it really could be a, you know a podcast series in and of itself, and I'm sure somewhere in the world it probably is. However, I am going to highlight a few. The first one I would say is, is NHS. Website itself, but none of these are going to be kind of third party. These have all got a, a vested interest in these courses. The, the um, NHS website, the NHS careers website specifically outlines the roles and responsibilities of all the different professions that we've been talking about all the way through this podcast. So you can really get a feel for what each one will involve, what each one will require, and the day to day responsibilities that you'd be expected to do for each one. So if you're On the fence about perhaps going into allied health or going into medicine or whatever, using that resource, the NHS careers website is absolute gold dust. Secondly, if you do choose that medicine is the one for you, the Medical Schools Council is my go to resource. If you don't know, the Medical Schools Council is a collective of all the UK medical schools who come together to share best practice, they'll discuss varying interview methods interview techniques they will outline all of the entry requirements on their website of every medical school they'll talk about the different um, ways in which medical schools will think about and treat different aspects of their admissions process it can really really help if you want kind of a first port of call when looking into medicine resources to have that one-stop shop that helps you to unravel kind of everything about applying to medicine the third resource this is a bit of a cheat but i think it really is important to just have a think about where you're getting information from would be the university website as i said all the way along there is a lot of sort of misinformation that flies about we've been doing an entire podcast on myths and it's questionable as to where people get hold of these myths ultimately your best course of action if you want really robust information on all of these different things will be looking at the university websites, whether it's their courses that they provide, the actual content, the style or method of teaching they use, how you're going to be assessed, right the way over to the admissions process, what qualifications they will and won't consider. Also, we've touched a bit on student support as well. If you've got, it's a total myth that you um, can't do a degree if you've got dyslexia, there is so much support available for students like that. It's all going to be there listed on the university's website. And if it is not, you can call up or you can email and they will get back to you. They are there to help you. So those are my three sort of major resources that I would sort of definitely push people towards if they were interested in a career in either the allied health profession or medicine.
0: Thank you very much for that, Matt. I'm just going to add Future Frontline. They're on Twitter, Instagram, and obviously the website. Have a look at them. Free resources, free opportunities, conferences, events online. Fantastic. Please do check them out. That brings us to the end of this episode. I'd just like to thank our special guest, Matt. Thank you for everything you've contributed. I'm going to pass it over to John so you can close the episode. Thanks, Jim. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, folks. Cheers you've been listening to the uni guide
1: the guidance podcast you need to support students with university decisions if you have any comments suggestions to ask a question or absolutely anything else do contact us using info at unitasterdays.com stay tuned like and share and as always take care
0: this
1: podcast was produced by Tim Rowe for uni taster days